This is the Huddle Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. The Huddle. Welcome into the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross. We're getting you guys ready for the Seahawks Week 4 matchup against the Miami Dolphins. But before we look ahead, let's take a quick glance back to Week 3's win over the Dallas Cowboys. Russell Wilson threw five touchdowns again. Here's one of them in cut number one. Russell looks, sets, has time. Going to throw to the end zone. What? It's DK. He makes the catch. Touchdown, Seahawks. I couldn't see him for a second, and suddenly he flashes in the end zone, and it's DK Metcalf, and he, in fact, makes up for the play earlier. And it's only fitting, isn't it, that he's the guy who comes up with the big reception, the touchdown with 147 left to play. That was the final score of the game. A bit of a redemption moment for DK Metcalf, but... Dave, the defense continued to struggle against an opposing passer. <clears throat> so let's start there. Pete Carroll thinks one factor is that offenses are so ahead of defenses right now. Is that what you've seen? Well, yeah, we have because you're seeing like record numbers and defense is not doing well. I don't know how you explain it. I mean, typically, you know, we say this every year, and maybe this is just uh, something that gets said because we're asked to explain something. I mean, football is a. It's a wild, wide-open sport, but you know I, I'm not sure how you explain that the defenses are you know suffering, and especially the Seahawk defense. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff is happening over the middle of the field, and yeah. the thing that complicates it and makes it even more strange is that the Seahawks are second in takeaways. Now that's how they've thrived over the last year or two because you know last year they gave up lots of yards. And they were number three in takeaways with 32. So they have six right now. Think about this, too. The turnover ratio is plus four. If DK Metcalf, which he'll never do that again, <laughs> secures that football to cross the goal line, then we're plus five. And if Greg Olson, who will never do that again, right. drop a, a pass that's right in his hands, uh, we'd be plus six in turnover ratio. Which so they're they're surviving that way. They're also surviving being second best against the run. And they've had huge plays in the run game, including, you know, the goal line stop on Cam Newton and then the the safety that they had the other day. So it, it's it's really hard to figure out. I, I'm not sure how you explain that, um, because typically we're talking every year about how, well, the defenses are going to start out ahead. Some have. Indianapolis, <laughs> they're giving up like 280 less yards per game than the Seahawks, but not the Seahawk defense, that's for sure. Now, Dave, could you uh, attribute that to possibly newness? That not only is this a unique environment that everybody's gone through in the offseason, but that there's a lot of newness to this Seahawk defense. As great as some of the talent is, there's new pieces that just haven't worked together in this scheme before. Yeah, and the way that they're using uh, Jamal Taylor, uh, I'm sorry, Adams, uh, that's that's different, you know, so a little bit different there. Um, you know, and then I, it's really hard to tell. I was saying this yesterday on our show. I'm always reticent to criticize anything that, that the, the Seahawks do defensively just because I don't know what they're taught. I mean, I'm assuming that Bobby and KJ in year 9 and 10 are not making mistakes. They're not screwing up, you know. So um, it, it just makes you kind of wonder what's going on in the middle of their defense. But, again, they're playing good run defense. They're taking the ball away. They're making big plays when they have to. So that's kind of what you have to hang your hat on right now. And in the meantime, I feel like, look, 
they will get this cleaned up. I mean, it, and I'm not saying it to be negative, like it can't get any worse, but we haven't seen these kinds of numbers, you know, and it's been concerning because look, uh, in Atlanta, those three receivers had nine catches for over 100 yards. That's never been done in NFL history. And then Cam Newton throwing for almost 400. That was going back to his rookie year the last time he did that. So you, you face some good quarterbacks, but, you know, the the one with Cam Newton, he's not typically a guy that throws, you know, for that many yards. But they're getting it done, man. They're they're getting key plays at key moments, and they're taking the ball away. Do you think they have enough talent on defense right now, Dave, or do you think they need to add a piece? And if they do, what kind of impact would that make? Yeah, it's – I we've been talking a little bit about Clay Matthews. I feel like they need that guy more than they need – a guy like Snacks Harrison because, you know, the play of Brian Monet has been, it's been really good. And, you know, the, the one sort of big standout play that he had was uh, the, the safety that, that he caused. I, I think single-handedly he caused that, but um, you know, he's had some really good plays and a lot of times doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but I feel like a Clay Matthews is probably a guy that would be more useful because he's more like Bruce Irvin. He rushes off the edge. He can play linebacker, but, you know, it's a matter of money and where he wants to play. But the the thing that's killing it, Tom, is the the injuries. And, look, you can't sit around. I said if I was a head coach, I would sit around and complain about injuries all day long because you lost Bruce Irvin. <laughs> I, I would, play. too, in their circumstance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you wake up on Sunday morning and Lano Hill can't go. And, you know, and Quentin Dunbar really important to this defense i mean this guy's made a lot of plays and people have said well he's struggled yeah a couple of times but he's done some things that are really promising so you know hopefully they're able to get him and leno hill and nico thorpe back because that's what's you know as far as the talent the talent is getting hurt on this defense and they're probably going to be without jamal adams i don't know what you guys think i i would think that they would definitely rest him and not make this groin injury something that's chronic the rest of the year yeah yeah, Dave, one of the questions that I have is, is this defense built more for closer games? Is it as simple as saying, hey, it's really hard to cover uh, when we're up by multiple scores and the and the offense just starts changing their mode? They change their original game plan and they start going into more of a pass-happy type of offense. Is that Does that ring true to you? Well, I thought it did last year just because, you know, they played kind of what people call like a loose shell defense, meaning you're going to drop back and you're going to keep everything in front of you. But they got beat deep a, a few times against Dallas. So that's that's the difference. And we haven't we didn't really see that last year. We saw them give up lots of yards, but we didn't see them getting beat over the top. They got beat over the top a few times. So it, mm-hmm. it's just something that that'll get cleaned up, but Look, I just remember going in into games and your defense, you go through it and you think, if everybody does their job, we should shut down every play that there is. Now, of course, you don't because somebody always gets beat, you know, or, you, you know, but on the plays where it works, yeah, everybody does their job. So maybe it is the newness, Jake, you know, of guys trying to play together. But they sure have a lot of good veteran leadership on that defense. And, you know, Jamal Adams was one of them, even though he's, what, in his fourth year? Um, you know, he's still still a, a, good, a good leader. And then, of course, you got Bobby and KJ out there. So we know that Jamal Adams could miss this week with a groin injury. I know you're in favor of just like, hey, rest him just to be safe. They could also be missing Quentin Dunbar. We'll have John Boyle of Seahawks.com coming up 
next to talk about injuries, but there are two guys that they could use again this Sunday. Uh, One, defensive back Ryan Neal, who was responsible for essentially clinching the win with this interception. Three receivers right. Prescott is going to look left. He gets hit again. He stumbles. He stays on his feet. Still looks. Throws to the end zone. It's intercepted. The ball is intercepted in the end zone. It's Neal who makes the pick in the end zone, and the Seahawks are going to hold off the Dallas Cowboys. How Dak Prescott was able to stumble away from a sure sack and still throw the ball to the end zone. And Neal, who was just activated today, makes the pick in the end zone, and the Seahawks are going to hold off the Dallas Cowboys. Wow, what a finish. The Seahawks defense steps up when they had to. Graves can hardly contain his excitement. Uh, You also had Shaquem Griffin, who was called up 24 hours before the game. And Alton Robinson, who we'll be speaking to later uh, in the show, also had a big play. Do you expect more from those three guys? I mean, did you see encouraging things? Well, I don't ever expect anything from a rookie. I mean, Alton (laughs) Robinson, I mean, that was... like Bobby, he just calls people rookies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He got that when he was... uh, when he was a, a rookie, remember uh, Earl Thomas looking at him and says, this "Man, says where's rookie. your neck?" <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah, I mean, Alden Robinson, we've heard really good things from a very reliable source, Cliff Averill, and yeah. we've had him on our show, and he's worked with Alton Robinson, and you know, he said this kid is a—he's like a pro. I mean, he's—he asks questions, he soaks it in, he's just—and he had a couple of really good plays. One was. They were going to run, I don't know if it was going to be a reverse or a reverse pass, but there's a a rule as a defensive end when you're the trailer, meaning you're running on backside, you know, you get across the line of scrimmage, you stay as deep as the deepest. So if you see somebody coming in motion the other way, whether it's a fly sweep or a reverse, you get at the depth that they're at. And he caused a total disruption of that play. So really, uh, yeah, I, I don't expect something out of him, but it would be a nice, pleasant surprise because he's looked he's looked really good. And again, we'll talk to him uh, around 145. Uh, first, though, we got to get caught up with some injuries. The Seahawks had a crowded injury report yesterday. I'm talking 25 players. So we'll bring on Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle next to tell us who we actually need to be worried about. This is The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Joining us now is Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. This is the huddle with Dave Wyman, Stacey Ross, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel. John, uh, yesterday's injury report for the Seahawks was a little concerning. Uh, you had, uh, I would say, roughly 75 people on it. That's just an estimate, a very rough estimate. What do we actually need to be concerned about? Because there's a couple resting bets. Well, we'll first be concerned with your math because there's no. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, John. I don't know what you mean. You know, but hey, that's, you know, we'll, we'll let that go. Um, it's I, I say this every week, but it's just too early to be concerned about. I, I can tell you this. There will not be 25 people listed when the injury designations come out Friday. I mean, last week's injury report wasn't quite this long, but it was very lengthy, and they had four people miss the game due to injury, one of whom wasn't even on the injury report because it came up over the weekend. So um, I would think the vast majority of those players on there do play. There are some concerns. We saw all the injuries in last week's game. I think Jamal Adams, based on what we've heard from Pete Carroll, would be less likely to play than likely to play. But um, a lot of those guys that got banged up came out of it 
a lot healthier than we would have thought from the way it looked on game day. I mean, that Carson injury looked brutal, and he practiced limited yesterday. So they're going to miss a few guys this week, but I wouldn't look at the 25 names and just think, oh, God, everybody's hurt, and they're not going to be able to field the team this weekend. Boyle, I know you love answering these uh, these injury questions, so I'll continue with I it. I love but, it. Yeah, I but, love speculating on injuries. Thanks so much, John. <laughs> no, but I would just say, like, theoretically, this year, do you think, have you gotten a sense that they've erred more on the side of caution than in years past just because of the lack of, you know, workouts? Have you noticed anything in that regard? In terms of resting guys and yeah. practice and all yeah, that? Yeah, well, that sure. and I also think- not, you know, bringing a guy back too soon. Yeah, no, I think for sure you're seeing more guys, and this is probably league-wide, I can't speak for other teams, but I would be willing to bet most teams are going to be more cautious bringing guys back from injuries and being more diligent about giving guys rest who aren't, you know, dealing with a serious injury, who but just have some little tiny nagging thing and just say, hey, let's make sure we get him through the week healthy so he can play on Sunday. John, uh, Russell Wilson was named uh, NFC Offensive Player of the Month. Uh, just Could you talk about the month that he has had and, and how it has impacted this football team? Well, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented what he's done. I mean, you guys have all seen the numbers. Most touchdowns through three games. First quarterback to have four more touchdown passes in three games. Um, the one that kills me is he's throwing touchdowns on almost 14% of his pass attempts, which is just a comically high number uh, compared to the rest of the league. So, yeah, I mean, right now we've seen this team really lean on him in ways that haven't before they're throwing the ball not a crazy amount i mean i think he's 17th in pass attempts so this isn't suddenly a pass every down team but they're throwing more in neutral situations more on first and second down and it's led to you know this offense looking as good as it has probably since the end of the 2015 season when they finished on that role um and then look the defense i think is better than the numbers have shown and will get better but for now at least they they need this out of russell Wilson in the offense because they're having a hard time stopping teams with that in mind about the offense john and the way the receivers are playing i mean there's a lot of options that russ has do you think that they will still go after a guy like josh gordon or do you think maybe they'll pump the brakes on that well, I mean, they, they went out and signed Josh Gordon. The problem is they don't have him, you know, they don't know if they can actually play him because of the suspension being out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that one's sort of a mystery. But do they need to bolster that group? I don't think so. I mean, it's pretty uh, it's pretty deep in terms of options, not just receiver, but when you look at the, the tight ends they have to throw to, I mean, it's – it's a pretty talented group. It's just, uh, you know, with the example you give of Gordon, we just don't know when he's going to be available and until something happens with that suspension, the team just won't know. What's the kind of feeling that you get from, I know that Bobby Wagner's post-game press conference, he seemed frustrated. I mean, you're 3-0, and you're coming off a win, but he seemed frustrated with this defense. Is that the feeling you get uh, either, you know, when you're out there at the facility or in those post-game press conferences, that this team is just not happy where the defense is? Oh, for sure. And, I mean, look, I, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses, but it is different when you when teams are behind two touchdowns every game. They're going to throw more. They have had some guys in and out of the secondary due to injuries and the ejection to digs in week two. But all those things aside, they, they definitely need to be better for sure. And it's, 
Pete Carroll's going to live with giving up some yards and some completions, especially when they're winning in the second half like they have been. What he's not going to be okay with is these big plays they've been giving up. They've given up the most explosive passing plays in the NFL through three games, and that to Pete Carroll is a fundamental part of playing defense is you don't get beat over the top. You don't give up those big plays. And they gave up three 40-yard or longer touchdowns last week. I mean, that to Pete Carroll, no matter what the score is in the game, that's unacceptable, and that's the main thing to me. If they can clean that up, I think everything will get better from there. Yeah, I think I have them at 64 10-yard plays or more because there were 47 going into that game. So, yeah, it just has to get better. And and one of the guys maybe that will will help it is Alton Robinson. I don't know if you've got a chance to talk to him. We're going to talk to him later, John. But he he sure seems like a mature kid. He's been mentored by one of the best, Cliff Averill, and – and he, he had an immediate impact in that game. I was surprised they didn't bring him up earlier, but whatever they did, they did it right because he, he went out and was able to, to make a, a few plays his first game. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, he was a guy that in training camp you'd watch, you know, everyday practice. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I could tell you evaluate every play of a defensive lineman, but he would show up almost every day, whether it was, you know, He's in the backfield on a running play, blowing it up, or he's getting to the quarterback. He just managed to have that kind of one or two flashy plays every practice, and then his first opportunity in the game, he did just that. He had a tackle for loss in the running game. He had a sack. He had a pressure causing a throwaway by by Dak. So, you know, it was exactly what we saw in practice, and, yeah, he he really helped himself and helped the defense, and I'm sure we're going to start seeing more of him after that performance. John, how about the uh, Ryan Neal getting promoted from the practice squad, yeah. getting thrown out there into the fire at the most critical moment of the game because of Jamal Adams' injury and comes up big at the end. How how much of a testament is that of the program and also how cool of a moment was that for Ryan Neal? Yeah, I mean, awesome moment for him. As he explained after the game, you know, he shows up towards Saturday thinking he's on the practice squad and He's going to, you know, be there for the walkthrough with the team on Saturday and then be on the sideline Sunday like usual. And then he's told, no, you're coming up. And then, unfortunately, Jamal Adams goes down and he's on the field as a starting safety when they need a stop. And then he, he gets to make that play. So, you know, great just moment for him, but also a good reminder of how the Seahawks, and I think all teams, but the Seahawks really harp on those practice squad guys are part of the team. They prepare like they're playing in the games. You know, they travel with those guys, so they're ready for road trips. They know what that experience is like if they do get their chance. So, yeah, he stepped up, and you know, we saw the same thing as Shaquem Griffin. He had a bunch of plays on that last drive. So it's a really good sign when you can plug guys in. And, you know, we've talked about the negatives of the defense, but one of the true bright spots to me is a lot of young guys like those guys, like Ugo Amadi, who have been forced into action because of injuries, have really stepped up. Yeah, and then there's guys like Alton Robinson. You know, he's a rookie, um, and we're supposed to talk to him today. But do you think it's too much to expect a rookie to step up in his position, say, and, I don't know, get you three sacks or so? Three? Are we talking for the season or in a game? I think three in a game is a lot to ask. But no, think, for the, you know, no, for the season. I think three in a game is totally <laughs> well, fair. Well, he's already got one, so sure, that's reasonable. Let's, All right get two more of the I, I say let's set the bar if he's already got one out of the way let's let's put some pressure on him say five there you go john i want to i want to well i said four yesterday team. and everybody got on my case for it so you know <laughs> john all right well, thank you so much for joining us uh we appreciate it as always i won't hold you to 
to the three or four a season. I'll hold Tom to it, but I won't hold you to it. You're off the hook with I that one. I will hold you to 75 players. No, please do. <laughs> please do, John. Please do. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, we're stepping across enemy lines with our opponent preview. What should every Seahawks fan know about this Dolphins team? Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post joins us next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. All right. Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post joining us in just a little bit, but let's give you guys a quick rundown of what to expect in Miami. Miami uh, one and two, third in the AFC East. They beat Jacksonville last week, but have lost to the New England Patriots and the Bills. 26 in yards, 22nd in points. Overall, Dave, just just not really uh, near the top of the league um, and pretty much anything right now they though had a much better week last week from ryan fitzpatrick speaking of interested to hear what you see in fitzpatrick as a former linebacker because you love him and then as a former quarterback i got to hear from jake too well he's a really smart player and obviously he went to harvard okay i don't know if you knew this this is 37 years old the guy has played for one quarter of the nfl (laughs) he's played for eight (laughs) different teams with all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think six times he yeah. beat the Jags, and that that's like with six different teams. So he's been in St. Louis back when they were, you know, a franchise and before they moved to L.A. and, you know, Tennessee and Houston. He's just been all over the place, the Jets. And, you know, and he's, you know, he had 71% this year. I mean, I think he's, he's a really smart player. Four touchdowns, three interceptions. And I think maybe all three of those came against New England because, you know, they've got a good defensive backfield. But, look, you you know, when you are giving up, uh, you know, 500 yards a game and almost 450 of that are through the air, then, you know, this is a guy that can hurt you. And, you know, that that's the thing about the NFL. And yeah, we've been having this ridiculous conversation on our show, courtesy of Jim, that this is a trap game and a letdown. And, you know, what and I'm just joking. I'm giving Jim a hard time. But it's, you know, every week you go into a, a meeting and a week and the coaches have a way of making the next team seem like giant killers. So and in, and then you're convinced of it by the end of of the, the week. And so. The idea of taking a game off because they're Miami and they're one and two is just nothing I ever experienced, that's for sure. But, you know, now you add in the fact that you have to go play in the early time slot, which they seem to have conquered. And, you know, you're going all the way down to Miami. So, you know, that's uh, that that those things are real. But as far as overlooking this team, you just can't do it. And uh, Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post joining us now on the huddle. Joe, thanks so much. How are you? Hey guys, doing well. Thanks Good. for having me. It's raining here. I know you guys. Wow. That. <laughs> and, a little uh, bit. I ordered a uh, sweatshirt from a Seattle-based store, Sodo S O D O. Took like ten days to get here, but it's great. Highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Joe, I got to ask you just off the top. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I have someone who played with him with the Jets, who is a fan of him, really likes him. We got a former linebacker who loves him. We got me and Tom, who are also fans. What have you seen from him so far in Miami? Yeah, I mean, Fitzpatrick is a a great guy. He's uh, one of the best leaders 
that the Dolphins have had in the last 20 years. I mean, he's a, a very selfless, uh, humble uh, human being. Uh, he's, he realizes that he doesn't have, uh, you know, the best, uh, you know, tools to work with. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the fastest guy. But uh, he certainly makes things interesting and makes things fun. And uh, I think the biggest thing that he's going to do this year, aside from giving his team a chance to win, which they did in Jacksonville on Thursday, is, uh, you know, tutor Tua Tungavailoa, and certainly Tua has been a sponge. Hey, uh, let me ask you about the, the corners down there, Joe. Um, put a lot of money into them, and, you know, I know Byron Jones got banged up a little bit, but $82 million to Byron Jones, $76 million to Xavier Howard. He's produced. I mean, he's got 13 career interceptions, Jones only two, and then he also drafted the kid out of Auburn who I was just looking up his uh, pronunciation. I'm not sure how to say it. Noah, Igben, Nogini, something like that. You can tell me, Joe. But um, they sure put a lot of stock into corners. How's that working out, that, that experiment down there? It performed better against Jacksonville than they did against Buffalo. Stephon Diggs really tore up uh, the Dolphins, that did, as did uh, Brown. Um, Noah Igbenogany rhymes with mahogany. Beautiful. That's a way to remember it. <laughs> Igbenogany. Yeah, he's good. He's, you know, he's raw. Uh, he made a mistake in the last game that almost led to a long touchdown. Dolphins caught a break when uh, Gardner Minshew overthrew a wide-open target who Igbenogany was supposed to be on. Uh, we were surprised that Byron Jones uh, practiced today and practiced pretty hard. He wants to play, uh, you know, and considering he has an Achilles injury and a groin injury, um, they're certainly unexpected. But it would be very helpful if he could cover Tyler Lockett in the slot. That would free up Xavier to deal with DK Metcalf. I think that that's a nice matchup for the Dolphins because – Howard is, uh, you know, aggressive and, and experienced. And uh, so we'll see. But he's banged up also. He's coming off a knee surgery. So, you know, the Dolphins' secondary is nowhere close to healthy. Uh, Joe, what was the recipe for success for the Miami Dolphins this last week against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars? They, they certainly were able to play better, able to, to get themselves a nice commanding lead uh, off of some turnovers and things of that nature. Um, so is that some and is that some of the game plan that they used? Are they feeling like they're finding their footing in the direction that they're going to be heading this week? Yeah, I mean, this team, this program, this franchise is so far ahead of where they were a year ago. I mean, they were just humiliated in the in the first portion of last season. They really do have a lot more talent in terms of all the free agent players they've added. Kyle Van Noy seems to be coming on, the highly paid free agent linebacker. Christian Wilkins, last year's first-round draft choice, a defensive lineman, he is starting to emerge the free agents, Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba, had improved performances last week. So the defense really took a step forward after some early season struggles. Uh, this is a team that um, has also improved on the offensive line. You know, uh, one of the biggest reasons the Dolphins haven't gone anywhere the last few years is they've had uh, a woeful, pathetic offensive line. And now they're actually very, relatively solid. So. Uh, this team, you know, is giving themselves a chance. Uh, you know, it's all that sort of boring Patriot stuff that you always hear Bill Belichick talk about in terms of complimentary football, limiting mistakes. You know, it's, it's the Dolphins want to be as boring as possible, and they think that will lead to wins. 
What kind of losing would it take to get Tua on the field? I know I heard he had an illness the other day, and that won't that probably won't last. But when do you think they'll get him there on the field? Well, I think November is the the appropriate target. You know, that would be one year removed from that uh, you know season-ending hip injury suffered uh, at Mississippi State last year, and uh, you know the Dolphins you know cut Josh Rosen, so obviously they're willing to put Tua Tagovailoa on the field in an emergency situation. We'll see if he dresses as the backup for this weekend. Uh, um, but you know, I, there's no rush. You know, I, I think there's no rush because they want the uh, offense to be uh, as cohesive as possible when Tua does step into the lineup. And I think maybe you look for a soft spot in the schedule, too. You know, the Dolphins have a three-week stretch in November where they play the Jets, a bye week, and then the Jets again. That certainly is an ideal spot to drop Tua into the lineup. Joe, I'm going to pit you on the spot and uh, see if you can give us a quick score prediction here. Yeah, actually, I just sent my score to uh, to my editor, Nick. Nice guy. Guy anyone would love to work for. Uh, really is. You know, former sports writer, so he kind of gets it. He's Sounds like, yeah, like a really nice guy. Go. You want to stay at the Marriott? Go for it. You want to go get some steak? Go for it. It's kind of rare in today's business. 34-31 Whoa. Seattle. I think the Dolphins, Dolphins will score some points, right. but I think they're going to have a really hard time slowing down Russell Wilson, who's one of my favorites. I first met Russell when he transferred to Wisconsin, and I remember being like, wow, this is an old soul. And uh, he is. He's an old soul, and uh, he's done a lot more than folks thought he could do when he was you know, at NC State, which is uh, – yeah. I remember talking to their coach about how he didn't think he'd be an NFL – he wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback, and he wasn't going to make it Major League Baseball either. Wow. So Russell proved them all wrong. Absolutely. Unreal to look back at that, too. He is Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. The Seahawks offense is second in the league in points per game. Russell Wilson is playing his best football, and we would be remiss if we didn't take a look at this offensive line. That's up next on The Huddle. The Seahawks. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacy Rost. Starting our preview of Week Four's matchup against the Miami Dolphins. Seahawks hitting the road, trying to stay undefeated before they head into their bye week in Week Six. Let's talk about this offense, though, particularly this offensive line. Now, this segment is called In the Trenches. Normally, we would be joined by former O-lineman Ray Roberts. We will try our best uh, to to make up for we don't have him here today. But we are still talking about the O-line. We'll get a little D-line conversation in here, too. Seattle's offense, you guys, has looked phenomenal through three weeks. They had to lean on some depth last week. Could potentially do that this week if Damian Lewis doesn't go. Dave, what have you seen from some of these backups so far? Were you impressed? Yeah, Jamarco Jones, I really like. We we did an off-season thing where we ranked the top 20 and uh, players on the team. And, um, of course, everybody knows who number one was. But I had uh, Jamarco Jones at number 20. And he was one of two offensive linemen, Dwayne Brown being the other, uh, just because his versatility and ability to, to fill right in. And he did well. So, But Damian Lewis, the good news for him is that, you know, he's got an ankle. Mm-hmm. And that was the the thing with ankles. I mean, it's so much better than knee because once you get the swelling out, you're good to go. 
So hopefully he'll be okay. And I heard he practiced limited yesterday. We'll see about today. But um, yeah, it's it's been it's been good. I mean, look, Russ, the very first when the very first play you get sacked, you know, the first play of the season, and we're talking about. I mean, it just kind of uh, you know cast a, a pall over the whole thing. But I'll say this: probably Russ should have checked out of that. But uh, he has been done a really good job as far as you know creating space when there is a pass rush but for the most part yeah he's been able to throw deep and that's the thing i know going into last week he was number 10 or number two in yards per attempt so that means he's throwing deep and that means that jake he's he's getting enough time to do it yeah he certainly is and i think that when you look at that it has been a huge question mark at least you had in this offseason of how were they going to be able to come together without uh, having a proper preseason without having OTAs, uh, you know, Damian Lewis, how is he going to be as a rookie guard through all of this? They've really uh, exceeded expectations and it has allowed them to play this style. And, and that was one of the things that really stood out to me over the course of the last couple of weeks of Pete Carroll evaluating this offense. You know, one of the things that he said was, yeah, I mean, we could see him practice that Russell Wilson was ready to go and that he was ready to tear this league up and the, this offense was going to be special. The question was about our offensive line. And I think really that's the story of this for the last couple of years is that they just haven't had the offensive line to really make Pete Carroll and this coaching staff feel comfortable enough to open things up. But this offensive line has definitely answered the challenge. That's That's for sure. Tom, you've been a big fan of Damian Lewis. I remember you, first of all, you were campaigning to make him your best friend ever. And Damian seemed very yes. receptive. That's wonderful. I'm glad you guys are friends now. What have you seen from him? <laughs> tell you what, the question that I was just asking Boyle about with the Alton Robinson thing, is it unfair to ask a rookie to contribute you know, right. X number of sacks? Well, look at it on the other side of the ball with Damian Lewis. I mean, he's come right out as a rookie, shown even in preseason – uh, I mean, he caught the attention of Dwayne Brown. We heard him complimenting him uh, on more than one occasion. And then he's gone out and continued that on the field, really, until he got hurt the other day. And I'm glad to know that he should be back this week, I think. Yeah, if I has heard a good right. chance. Uh, right. So I, I don't think you could ask any more from a guy like that. I mean, Dave, what I wanted to ask you before was, when we look at rookies, I know it's hard to, to point at them and say, all right, well, you've got to do this. But in some cases, if they're good enough, they can. <laughs> yeah. Well, like DK Metcalf last year, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Just 900 I, yards. I mean, I, you know, going into the year last year, I don't know about you guys, we had a prediction. You know, I thought, eh, DK will get 25 catches maybe. That'd be good for a rookie. Because I just, I, I'm, it's always a pleasant surprise. And maybe the guy that had the best rookie year ever was Lofa Tatupu, you know, coming in here as a second rounder and, starting right away and getting pick sixes and just how smart he was and everything. But it's funny, after the draft, I think everybody thought that Damian Lewis was the one guy at the end of the year was probably going to have the most snaps. Mm -hmm. um, he's really, really strong. He's ridiculously strong. He's a nasty player in a good way. And, you know, he also played professional football in college at LSU. <laughs> so, you know, I just think that that made him much more ready and, uh, and you know, look, we saw him struggle. The things I've seen him do is 
the first game, he's not picking up the stunt, you know, the TE stunt where the one guy comes inside, the other guy goes out, and you got to pass him off, and you're starting to see him do those things now. So he gets it. I'm just, uh, yeah, when I saw him laying on the ground, I was like, oh, man, please be an ankle, not a knee. And so it sounds sounds like good news there. But, yeah, I just, whenever it comes to rookies, it's always like a plus. it's gravy. You know, if, if you get that, yeah. then fine. But for the most part, I don't expect anything from rookies. It's really hard to play well your rookie year. And Pete Carroll well, saying that um, he, Damian Lewis, managed to avoid uh, any high ankle sprain. And Jake, do you have the same feeling about just like, hey, just manage to like maybe contribute, but the expectations are mostly just <laughs> stay healthy and be yeah. there? Yes. <laughs> also, it, it, it's telling, especially in certain situations. Like, let's say, for example, Damian Lewis, DK Metcalf, uh, Lofa Tatupu. Maybe you weren't expecting Lofa to have the kind of year that he was having, but the fact that the coaching staff recognized how how quickly he adapted to the game as a rookie, DK Metcalf, he adapted to the game and he was a playmaker and he was a guy that was pen- was penciled in as a starter right from the beginning. I think that those are things that give you confidence in, in a player moving forward. Now, what will their contributions be? It's really up in the air. Uh, but you just see very quickly to me, the really good players in the league, they're ready to go from the beginning. And I think one of the things that, gives you some pause doesn't mean that's the indictment on him clearly not for Alton Robinson is that they did not put him as a member of the active roster for the first two weeks right like that the coaching staff felt that a there were better players in front and b that he was a rookie that they didn't know if they could depend upon now they're in a situation where they do need him and he answered the call very very well last week and and you just hope that uh, it wasn't. You just hope that he can build off that performance. And to me, I, I've loved the kid from the beginning. But I, I just anything like as Dave put it, anything that he does additionally is just gravy on top. You know, just going back to uh, the offensive line for a second, the name Mike Solari. It's like one of those things where you know if you know the umpire's name. He's probably not a very good umpire. If you know the offensive line coach's name, there's probably an issue. Well, Mike Solari, we haven't mentioned his name in a long time. We did when he first got here because he turned things around so fast. Um, but he certainly, guys, I think, stop, Charlie, I think gives or deserves <laughs> a lot of credit for what this offensive line has done, at least to this point, because it's really a mixed bag. These guys haven't played together. Right, they barely played together at all, and they've had a shortened preseason. I mean, there's a lot of things working against him, and Solari's just got it humming. Yeah, I think he's one of the best in the league, and one of the reasons why I think that is the late Howard Mudd, who uh, was a good offensive line coach. He just died recently from a, a motorcycle accident, but we had him on a few months ago, and I got to be friends with Howard. It was really, I was so sad when when he passed because after I got done talking to him a couple of times, I'm like, hey, I got a new friend, and. Anyway, he had a lot to say. He's one of the – I think that the in the NFL, when he was in Indianapolis, and that was with Peyton Manning, they had the lowest sack total of any NFL team when Howard Mudd was coaching a team. But anyway, he, he spoke very highly of Solari and just the, the way that he coaches, and it sounded like they were pretty similar. So, yeah, that makes it – you know, I don't know if anybody's ever gotten a golf lesson, but, you know, when you get a golf lesson, it's like the, the instructor, the good ones say the right thing to you. 
right? They they say something that like resonates with you or clicks with you or Ooh. you're you're able to to change something. And that's what you know, it's about communication. And that's the the thing that I hear about Mike Solari is that he's able to explain things in a way that guys just understand it. And then you know where you're going. Then you can just go play instead of think. All right. There are going to be a couple keys to a Seahawks win. We'll ask the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, what he thinks those are next on the huddle. This is the huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. The huddle. This is the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Rost. Seahawks heading to Miami this Sunday to take on the Dolphins. One and two, third place in the AFC East. That'll be an early game. Calling the game uh, on 710 ESPN Seattle will obviously be Dave Wyman here with us. But also, voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Always calling the game. Steve, how are you? Hey, Stacey. Good. And I don't know how I don't know how obvious it is about Dave being a part of the broadcast this week. We decide basically on Saturday whether we're going to allow him in the booth or not. Yeah. How do you feel about this this coming Sunday? Uh, we'll let him in this time. Yeah. I, I like that she uh, that Stacy just described. We have Dave Wyman, and then also and then also we Steve have- Rabel. <laughs> Calling the game, Dave I like the Wyman. sound of that. Yeah. Also, yeah, Steve Rabel's yeah, there. Listen, but... I'm used to it. I've been backing up since I got out here <laughs> in 1976. Why should it be any different now? <laughs> oh, Rabes, you're the best. We had some fun moments. Uh, I was I was talking about this with these guys that uh, when we heard Brandon Carr down there complaining on the field, it's 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 been that part's been kind of cool. And I was talking about the shift that Bobby made when they got the uh, the safety. You know, and he didn't have to go up and pat the guy on the side of the rear to get him to move over. You remember Tom Catlin, Steve, he used to say, right. if those D linemen don't hear you, you just go up and slap them on the butt. They'll move. They're just like cattle. So <laughs> he, you used to have to do that. You know, there's lots of things. But now, you know, I guess we we want the crowd there. But there are some kind of cool things like listening to guys complain and, and some of the communications a little bit better. Well, and I'll bet, Dave, of course, we're not down there on the field, but I'll bet Russ, at times, they have to be, or any quarterback, has to be somewhat careful in the huddle about calling the play too loud because, you know, we used to set the huddle up, what, like 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage. Now it's about five, maybe Yeah, why is that, by the way? Probably because they just want to run up, set, and go, or maybe they just don't want to have to go that extra four and a half yards to the line of scrimmage. I, I, I have no earthly idea, but it's one of those things that's just sort of developed over the years. Yeah. But the closer you are to the defense, the easier it is for them to hear you. Now, you know, the other side of that coin is, well, Russ is just probably going to come out in half the time or a third of the time is going to audible at the line of scrimmage and get them into a play that works against whatever defense. But still, there's just so many things that they have to now be aware of that they, they didn't used to have to be. And like Bobby, uh, used to have to scream at the top of his lungs to be heard because of the noise. Now, not so much. Now, Steve, you guys aren't going to be traveling, correct? You guys are having to make the broadcast from CenturyLink Field? Correct. Yes. So, what in your guys's you know short experience? Because this is only the second time that you guys are going to be doing this, Steve and Dave. What what has that been like to call a game that you're not at? Well, it's it's it is certainly different. Um, it, you know, they're, they're, even even at home when the team is here this last Sunday, we were Dave and I were talking about it. How different it is. How much we miss going down on the field 
talking to coaches, kind of getting the, the feel for the, the pregame warm-ups and talking to John Schneider and, and, and the personnel guys about what they see in the Cowboys or whatever. So it's, it's, it's so different even here at home. Uh, away, it, it becomes very much like I used to do for my 38 years in television, and that is you walk into the studio and you do your job. And you know that there are people out there either viewing and or listening, but right in, in that particular moment, you're, it's you and that monitor and the guy standing next to you and the producer in your ear, and you still call the game the way you see it, but there are just so many more things that, are, that make it a little more difficult, that make it challenging to do it by looking at the monitor, not the least of which is how good a view do they give you on what yard line you're on. Uh, I can see that in the stadium. I can't always see it on TV because they just don't show it sometimes. So, you know, little things like that uh, that, that kind of hinder you a bit. But it, it is different. Uh, I, miss, I miss the travel with the team. But then again, I don't want to be in any situation where we could be the catalyst for uh, upsetting the bubble. And uh, I think they've got it figured out, and that's good. And we'll just do our jobs. All right, speaking of being in Miami, I just unearthed an interesting little fact here. Somebody texted in that the Seahawks have not won at Miami since October 6th of 1996, which is true. Now, I want to ask you a little trivia question here because you were there, I presume. Do you know who quarterbacked the Seahawks that day? October 6th, 1996. 96? I don't remember what what I did this morning. (laughs) Um, no, uh, 1996. Could it have been John Freeze? Oh yeah! Oh, look at you, Rabel. Nice, Raves. Well, it was kind of that in-between period there, and you know we were going through some issues as as a team, uh, and I couldn't remember quite if it was John at that point or or you know we had some quarterback injuries, uh, so uh, that that was kind of the first one that came to mind. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, we don't get back there very much. I mean, we've played in, it seems like we've played in New England or, or other places. Of course, we haven't played in Buffalo in forever either until this year. The last home game for Buffalo was actually in Toronto a few years ago. But the things I always remember about Miami, and it goes back to when I played back there, uh, back in the, the leather helmet days, and we're going to see it again, uh, at least right now it looks like, we're going to see it again this week. And that is, if you ever wanted weather conditions absolutely polar opposite from Seattle, go to Miami. It's going to be 87 degrees with almost 80% humidity mm. and a 50% chance of rain. At least that's, that's what I saw as of last night, the weather report in Miami. It is difficult. It's like playing underwater by the end of the game. <laughs> so your guys, I can't, you can't use it as an excuse, but you have to be ready for that. And you, you better have a lot of good rotation going, especially for that defensive front. A fun trivia fact I learned, Tom, was that uh, alligators aren't really outside of uh, Florida or the southeast. That's just a basic fact everyone should know, but I don't know why I thought there were maybe some in, like, I don't know, Idaho or something. Anyways, Steve. Yeah, I haven't seen an alligator in Idaho in a long time. You let me know if you do, okay? I thought thought maybe. I thought maybe there could be. Um, I I promise. I was writing down some keys of the game, and when I took a step back to look at it, I realized I wrote, win the game, get better on defense, 
and then stay really good on offense. Like that was the simplified version of it. And I was like, what is this? Tell me you have a better key to the game. It's the challenge that Dave and I go through every week. We, we uh, text uh, on the weekend and then we talk about it Sunday morning as to what our keys to the game are going to be for the game. And, you know, you, it could always be pretty much the same three or four with maybe one extra here or there. But it's always going to be, you know, Russ, keep a hot hand, defense, figure out how to stop the long pass. I mean, these are things that, that are pretty obvious. So now you have to kind of burrow down on, on some of the things that are really particular about why aren't they doing something or why is something successful and why, because it's successful, do they need to change things just a bit because the other defense knows, you know, we love running that deep crossing round. We love running uh, DK on a, on, a, on a go round, and we love doing certain things. So what can you do differently that can take advantage of what the defense is preparing for? Steve, you know, I don't know if this is explainable, but it, it, people have tried to, I think a lot of times in football, people try to connect the dots. You know, like you, you have to sort of, you know, organize it in your mind. There has mm-hmm. to be uh, something that explains it. Uh, and, you know, the thing we've been people have been trying to do, I don't think it's explainable, is why are the offenses so much better than the defenses right now? And why are we seeing, you know, this uh, amount of yardage giving up, given up in the NFL just in general? And, you know, it's the, the scoring is way up. If you look at the over-under, which is the betting line anyway, the, the numbers are up like in the 50s mm-hmm. instead yeah. of like the 40s. But I, I don't know that you can explain that. It might just be, you know, um, a blip. Who knows? But it, it, does it make any sense to you? Well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and you're right. You could, you can, you could burrow down and try to figure out, okay, the, the defense has the advantage after they get to see a season or so of uh, read option and that sort of thing. And now with the fly sweep motion, the Rams, that's all caught up with them. I, I think one thing is pretty simple, uh, and it, it was going the other way for a long time, where a lot of your very best athletes were on defense. And now, look at where the best athletes are. Look at the wide receivers that they're growing, like D.K. Metcalf and Julio Jones and uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Look at those guys, physical specimens that could have been defensive ends back in the day that I played, or outside linebackers. Look at the quarterbacks, the skills that a Russell Wilson, uh, a Patrick Mahomes, look at the skills that they have. I think it's, it's much as anything, it's just great athletic ability and Coaches being able to now harness that and and game plan that into something that successfully you also have very smart offensive minds these days. Andy Reid uh, among the smartest. So I think it could be something as simple as that, Dave. That you just have some really great athletes playing on offense right now, and and they have the advantage. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Steve, you are the absolute best. We can't wait to hear you this Sunday and talk to you next Thursday. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right. Dolphins head coach Brian Flores spoke with reporters earlier today and had some very interesting things to say about a local star and the Seahawks offense. We'll take a listen next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross, getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' Week 4 matchup against the Miami Dolphins. 
This segment, we're going to take a listen to head coach Brian Flores, head coach of the Dolphins. He had a couple really good things to say about Seattle's offense and some good things to say about a former local star. Let's start right there. Cut number eight right here. Here's Flores talking about what he's seen from Miles Gaskin. Uh, Miles is you know, really everything we're looking for in a, in a Dolphin. He's, he's tough. He's smart. He's competitive. You know, he loves to play. Loves to practice. Team first guy. I mean, he's 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 done a really nice job, especially making the year one and year two leap. Great teammate, and uh, you know, he's really he he really works at his craft. So, I think one of the best things to see see from him, you guys, has been him getting involved as both a receiver and in the run game. He's got 152 rush yards, but almost 100 receiving yards as well. I know the Dolphins' offense. Dave, you mentioned, isn't necessarily explosive. They're in the bottom third of the league in most categories, but they've been finding ways to integrate him more. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's really smart to use your running back as as a target, kind of like the Seahawks are doing with, with Chris Carson. So it, the, the weird one to me is Jordan Howard, um, that, you know, pretty good player, but he's got like 16 carries for 12 yards, but he's scored three touchdowns. I know. He's yeah, twelve total yards. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're they're using him, but um, the other guy that's really jumped out is this Jasicki, Jasicki, Mike Gasicki, tight end. Yeah, tight yeah. end from Penn yeah. State, and he was a second round draft choice back in 2018. But man, he made his unbelievable one handed stab, uh, you know, catching a, a pass. I think he's their first or second leading receiver. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's uh, you know, look, every week you're gonna have guys like that and every week you go I, I was telling the story the other day the only time I ever looked at another NFL player and went that guy stinks was Tony Mandrich and he, he was the the number one pick in the draft and he was playing for the Packers I think and I just remember going geez this guy can't block anybody but I mean for the most part you get into camp and you know I'm, I'm sorry the the week of practice and you start looking at these guys and going, yeah, individually, maybe they're not playing together as a team, but you see the talent is there. And Gaskin is is one of them. Ryan Fitzpatrick we talked about, and, and they're tied in as well. That's when you look at this game, it, it, you know, Jim could throw out trap game. We talked about a trap game as a show uh, yesterday, and, and the thing is when you look at this, group and you talk about injuries do you rest guys do you not rest guys um if they decide to end up resting a lot of these players which i do think is the best move to make you still got to come up and and ready to go every single sunday and miami is no different like you mentioned they've got some players that can really make plays and create disruption um on the defensive side of the ball as well and brian flores he's a guy that really likes to make things difficult uh, for a quarterback, for an offensive line uh, in terms of trying to generate pressure. He's not afraid to call cover zero in the middle of the field and and call it often. He's not afraid to mix things up at the line of scrimmage. And and so these guys for the Seattle Seahawks, you know, both offensively and defensively, they need to be on their P's and Q's because Miami definitely can hurt them in a variety of different ways. Now, Seahawks fans, speaking of, definitely shouldn't jump the gun thinking Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to bring any kind of easy opponent he can certainly be a challenge cut number seven right here is Flores talking about his veteran quarterback I think he brings leadership I think he brings experience I think he brings great energy he's competitive and you know he loves to play I mean I think you know our players feed off of that and you know his leadership has been has very, been very important to this young team these young receivers obviously the you know two are behind him uh, as well as some of the guys defensively so um, we're happy to have him and we just you know continue to hope, hopefully build and grow and improve as a team Tom, does Ryan Fitzpatrick make you nervous? 
bit. I mean, they planned it this way, right? It's not like they had him on the bench and he had to come in because their young guy got hurt. I mean, they planned it this way for him to at least start. You heard Joe Shad before say, eh, maybe November for Tua, but there's no rush on that. Look, and this occurred to me the other day when I was watching Dallas. You know, they've got in. They've got Andy Dalton on uh, Dallas. He's a good backup. Ryan Fitzpatrick here in Miami. So those are, you know, two of those situations where if you're a head coach, you're pretty darn comfortable because Fitzpatrick can play. It's not like you're going up against a backup with all due respect to the guy we got here. If I were a fan of another team saying, oh, Geno's going today, not Russell, that gives you a lot of confidence with all due respect to Geno. Okay, but, you know, Fitzpatrick is a player. He's a borderline starter. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's smart. He's a good communicator. He is a good mentor, and he can play. So the Dolphins really couldn't have worked their quarterback situation any better, in my mind. Yeah, Fitzpatrick with four touchdowns to three interceptions. But important to note that some of those stats are weighed toward a tough week one. He was great last week, completing, I think, almost 90% of his passes, had two touchdowns, ran in another one. Let's take a look at the Seahawks side of the ball, though. This is what Flores in cut number six had to say about what he's seen from Russell Wilson. He's a fantastic player, and he's in, he's improved really every year since he's been in the league. I think one of my first my first year as a position coach in 12 was his rookie year. Played great in that game. We went out to Seattle. And you know, I was coaching the safeties. I came out of that game feeling like he's a young guy. He and he was just kind of coming along. I don't know if that was his third or fourth start, but he played really well in that game. And uh, that was my first impression of him. And he's been a, a tremendous player since. But he's grown a lot over the years. You know, the thing that's really uh, he causes a lot of issues. You know, most guys scramble to run. Some guys scramble to throw. Um, he's really a true dual threat. Yeah, I, I think that uh, he has gradually gotten better, except for this year. He's taken a huge leap. And the one thing, Jake, am I seeing things? Is he throwing the ball harder? It it seems like he has got a a little bit of extra zip. But, but again, you know, and I've been saying this whenever I'm on Q13 and everything, like, you know, somewhere Patrick Mahomes is making Russell Wilson-like throws because I'm tired of hearing (laughs) about Mahomes and his throws. Only Mahomes. Yeah. I know. The the first touchdown that he threw in that Patriot game, I talked about it last week on the huddle, but, I mean, he's – He's scrambling. He's running to his right. He finds him uh, Lockett sitting down in a zone. He throws across his body, and the ball had a ton of zip on it. So I, I just think his whatever he did this offseason, it, it's, it's remarkably different this year. I mean, it's been gradual in the past. He has truly stepped up to be what at the end of the year could you we could easily say that you know i think he has a a better chance than not that this is the best quarterback in the league yeah for for russell i think that this has been a consistent process really you know just speaking to it you know now here in year three of of dealing with an off season with him you know it's been a a gradual process you know he's already one of the best in the world and just incrementally getting better and working more and more on you know little things in in his mechanics um and and then also i think more so than anything else he's always been able to rip the ball the way that he has but it's more of the conviction in which he is throwing the football Mm -hmm. and i also would say the the way that this offense is geared up now towards him everything that was centered around basically for the for the majority of Russell's career they've had no intermediate pass game they really have had a very limited short pass game as well everything has been 
deep play action pass, getting the ball out of your hands, you know, deep down the field. And now this offense is really about, you know, attacking every phase of the field and allowing Russell early in games to get the ball out of his hands to distribute quickly. Um, and I think that his where he's at mentally, he's processing everything. Mm-hmm. The game is just in slow motion for him. And I think that that is the part that is really shining through to everybody. Um, in, and that is also coming out physically, but mentally is, I think, where the fun part of it is for, for Russell Wilson and how he's playing. We'll talk with someone who knows his quarterback pretty well. That's left tackle Dwayne Brown next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross. We're waiting to pull Dwayne Brown off the practice field here. Seahawks still wrapping up. Until then, let's talk a bit more about this offense. Ranked number two in the league in points with 37 per game. Russell Wilson leading all quarterbacks with 14 touchdowns through three weeks. Sets an NFL record. I'll start with you, Dave. Do they have a chance to repeat this kind of trend against the Dolphins? I know it's any given Sunday in the NFL, and I know Russell Wilson is playing at a clip that's really hard to replicate, but it sure feels like with a banged-up defensive back group, there's a chance. Yeah, well, and they pride themselves on their corners. I mean, yeah. Xavier Howard, $76 million with 46 guaranteed. Byron Jones, $82 million. Fifty-seven million guaranteed. Then they draft the guy Igno Bahogany. Terrible. You nailed it. No, I'm not. Igno Bahogany. Igno You knocked it out of the park, Dave. Yeah, but, by uh, Sunday he's going to be ready to roll. He will be oh, on. He's going to oh, yeah. nail it. He'll be waiting to yeah. say it. Got the bad one out of my system, but Go no, ahead, he, he was a first rounder. So you know they they like their corners, and I've seen them play a lot of cover one where they've got a deep safety back mm-hmm. there, and they're relying on their corners to to man up on those guys. Look, they went and did it against the best team in the league as far as defensive backs go and the Patriots. So I don't see why they, they wouldn't do it here. And, you know, and the other thing too, is the check down is always available with Chris Carson. What did he have? I I think he only had two or three uh, throws his way last week. So, you know, maybe they up that a little bit. So um, yeah, there's, I don't always expect it, but you know, we're starting to get used to Russ having these huge games. Yeah, I think we certainly are. Offense. Yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I, th- I think we certainly are. And it, you look at the way that this is shaping up. I mean, it would not surprise me if they were if they ran the ball a little bit more, Carlos Hyde just trying to really control the game in this one. But, you know, so far they have really been aggressive, and I don't see them really changing, especially with this secondary group against, uh, you know, the offensive weaponry for the Seahawks. I think it's a clear mismatch, and, um, you know, it's going to be a fun one to watch to see how they handle it and how, how well they're able to start. I think this offense is extremely portable. Like, I think that even when the weather gets cold, the only thing that I'm a little worried about, only because it's come up in, prior, in years past, and it's already come up like last week, is Chris Carson's health, right? Yeah. I know that Russell can throw the ball over the place. I know we got a million options, but they do still need the run game. Remember, they haven't abandoned the run game. They're still using it. I mean, at worse or at at its least it's a decoy and at its best it's a huge part of what they do so they're still going to need Carson there I'd keep an eye on his health but if everything's there if everybody's on the field functioning 
I don't see any reason why this offense can't work in any venue in any weather. I mean, I don't think that any of that stuff bothers Russell or Lockett or Metcalf. And even though, how did Rabel put it before? He said, in Miami, by the end of the game, it's like playing underwater, especially on that field. It's always real muddy down there. Um, I think that they're, they're going to be fine either way. I, I'd expect this offense, health notwithstanding, to keep it up all year long. Yeah, and they're, they've had a couple of games. Well, they ran for 154 against New England. They're like middle of the pack right now, throwing, uh, running it for about 120. But I feel like they could have that kind of running game where you see them run for, what was it, against the Rams a couple of years ago where they ran for over 200 yards, you know, and Russ a little part of that. And he's run that option, which we haven't seen lately, but we saw it in the Atlanta game. So, yeah, I I feel like they can. But I'm with you, Tom, that I do worry a lot about Carson's health. So especially with the buffoonery that was going on out there in the Dallas game with the guy with the alligator roll, jeez. I haven't seen anything like that since, like, the 60s. I mean, is this the 1965 Oakland Raiders out here? It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I, I do think that – but they haven't really proven that they can be this hugely explosive running team. They've been good, you know, like I said, about 118 a game. But, you know, if they can do that for a couple games, I would love to see that because then, you know, you would – no, because we've been saying, hey, they can always go back to the run. They're a good running team. Do we really know that yet? Not quite. You know, maybe we've seen a little bit of it, but um, but I, if they're going to be really good, as good as Hyde is and Homer's look good lately, I think it's got to be because of Chris Carson. Dave, what what would you say about Chris Carson this week? Because he did practice it was limited but he did practice yesterday Mm -hmm. uh is that one of those where hey he's got the knee sprain you should rest him or is it hey if he's telling us he's ready to go then we're not going to hold him back yeah i I feel like there's less than a 10 percent chance that he's going to play i i just think the way they're treating well especially him i mean look remember after uh the 2018 he had what 32 carries against the Cowboys, then he couldn't go the next week, and you know he has right. he has they they kind of treat him that way, and I think they should. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he's gonna he's gonna be playing this week, just based on what we saw too. And I was surprised that it was just a sprain. Cause if you go back and look at that, he's got his leg turned all the way around, and Chris is still on the ground, uh, face down, and he had to kind of flip his body so it wouldn't you know torque his knee. So. I hope he got like an apology or something from that guy. Something. I haven't seen any kind of fine or anything yet, or but no. yeah, we'll, we'll see. But it's ridiculous. Is that how football players should handle that, by the way? Like behind the scenes, like, hey, man, I shouldn't have done that. I that think was it's a good stupid. look when they Did do. You? I mean, Quandre. I was going to say, now. yeah, mm-hmm. right. I mean, I was going to ask Dave, like. Did you ever get a call from anybody or, a, or maybe back anyone? in your day it was Pony Express? Yeah, well, how'd they do? <laughs> well, I got kicked out of a game. And and if you see the footage, it, it looks bad. Yeah. It really does. I was going to block. It ended up being Jeff Hostetler. And he moved oh, out of the way. Oh, my God. Yeah, he moved out of the way. <laughs> and then I put my elbow up. And, and, you know, if that hurt him, then he sure didn't show it because he jumped on top of me and started screaming, you know, not curse words. That was the weird thing about it. He was calling me a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, like an and, orbit and, commercial. Yeah. So, and then, you know, I got thrown out of the game and it looks terrible and everything, but I called him 
afterwards, you know, my agent set it up and I tried to call the Raiders, said, Hey, I'm calling to apologize. Never got him on the phone, but you know, told him to, yeah, I just passed it on to whoever it was. Like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll tell them they weren't, you know, too happy. So yeah, I never, I never got a chance to actually speak to him, but I did try to, you know, say, Hey, look, look, I was trying to hit him, but I wasn't going to try to injure him. So, and there's some controversy as to whether the the hit that I had was the one that that hurt his throat. But anyway, it was, you know, it was a bad situation and I I was embarrassed. I mean, look, I was on some of the halftime shows the next week and I had three Hall of Famers call me a cheap shot, you know, and it was just, it was awful. I hated it. I felt like I was infamous instead of famous, you know, and I'd never been that guy, you know, so it was, it was a, it was a bad deal. But if I was this Tristan Hill, it's a lot easier now. Like I had to call the training room of the Raiders in order to try to get a hold of him. <laughs> now these guys, you know, they have texts and, and all that Twitter, everything. Yeah. You can, he can do that. And he, he certainly should, because that was really a bad look. You know, I don't mean to start out our interview with Seahawks left tackle Dwayne Brown by asking him uh, about a defensive play, but Dwayne, thank you for joining us on the huddle. Uh, what did you make of that play of Tristan Hill on Chris Carson? I don't mean to, pit, mean to pitch you in a weird spot, but I mean, we were just talking about this. Uh, no, I don't mind. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was intentional. Uh, I didn't see it when it happened and uh, it's probably a good thing I didn't because I would have for sure reacted. Um, but after seeing the replay after the game, uh, it was clear that he had him tackled, and he continued to roll, continued to twist his ankle. And, um, you know, then a couple plays later, he hit Russ late. So, you know, it, it, it was a string of plays that, you know, made me feel like it wasn't any remorse there, uh, and, and it was intentional. Yeah. Well, and Dwayne, it just seems like uh, I was saying that it looked like something out of like the 1960s or 70s. You might have seen something like that then, but now isn't there's more of a brotherhood of hey, look, you you want to make somebody feel it when you hit them, right? But you don't want to injure anybody, and everybody is pretty aware of look, this guy's you know you don't want to jeopardize a guy's chance to make a, a living in the NFL. Absolutely, um, you know I've I've been in the league a long time and. There's always that competitive nature to want to dominate your opponent to, like you said, you know, make yourself felt and, and, and make them remember a certain hit or a certain play. But we all respect each other. We all know this is our livelihood. We're trying to provide for ourselves and our families. And uh, you never want to do anything that could uh, intentionally stop someone from doing that. You know, so uh, I don't respect it, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think there should have been or should be some – some sort of a consequence for it. Yeah, Dwayne, you're you know you're the one of the older vets here on the team. Um, you're talking about you know keeping yourself healthy. You know I, I know that you work extremely hard in the off season to keep yourself in the best physical shape possible. What is it like at this stage in your career to manage yourself and to have the discipline to manage yourself the right way so that you can be available for your team each and every single week? It's a uh... It's a full-time job, you know what I mean? I think, you know, not only for myself, but I think everyone, especially this year, considering, you know, just the restrictions we've had and just kind of the the change and the sudden change in tempo going from, you know, practicing the training camp to full four quarters right. of intense, full-speed football games. Um, you know, so it's a, 
it's a it's a daily grind. You know what I mean? From you know stretching to just maintenance on different body parts to recovery after practice, recovery after games. You know it's a lot. You know, but uh, it's easy to stay disciplined because you know I love what I do, and uh, there's nothing more important to me than being available. You know, so um, it, it's it's everything. You know, it's diet, it's enough proper amount of sleep, uh, it's it's everything. You know, so. Um, you know, it's a full-time job. It's not just about practice or games. You know, it's everything you have to do um, in between that time, you know, to make sure you're ready to go. Dwayne, I know you've played in some excellent offenses in the earlier part of the decade with Houston and then later uh, as Watson came along. But do you think that the offense you got, you're got you in right now has the potential to maybe be the best you've ever been a part of? I mean, Absolutely. You know, I think it all starts with, you know, Russ. I mean, I mean, he's playing lights out. He's a phenomenal talent. Um, you know, Schottenheimer is doing a great job of, of dialing up different plays and keeping defenses off balance. We have a lot of talent, man. Our receiver group, running backs, you know, you know, guys up front have been producing and, and playing, you know, playing pretty well. And we're still trying to – still continuing to, to evolve and, and, and find our chemistry as a, as a line, you know. So just looking at what we've been able to get accomplished so far, it's been amazing, you know, and um, – you know, we've done it against some pretty, de- you know, decent, decent de- defenses and, and pretty good players, you know. So uh, we're just trying to keep it going. You know, every week is going to be different, um, you know, but, you know, putting up 30 points a game is, 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 is not easy in this league, you know, and um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Hey, Dwayne, how does uh, – you've probably been asked this a lot, but just as far as the lack of crowd noise, how has it made your job easier or how has it made it tougher? It's definitely been uh, the communication aspect uh, has been good and, and it's been bad because I think both sides of the ball are able to hear everything that's being said. So right. um, as a veteran, somebody that, you know, I kind of listen for keys anyway, you know, it makes it a lot easier hearing guys, you know, what they're trying to say and what they're communicating to each other. But on the flip side of that, they hear everything we're saying, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, you try to you know, cut down your communication as much as possible so they don't get any key on it and start to pick it up as the game goes on. But it's hard, you know, because this is only only our, you know, fourth, third, fourth game coming up. And, uh, you know, we have some young guys, some, some inexperienced guys in our system. So um, we're having to communicate quite a bit to make sure everyone's on the same page. And, um, you know, but they're doing the same thing. So, it, you know, it, 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 it works, you know, both ways, you know. And so um, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been kind of weird, but... Uh, once you're out there playing, you don't really think about it too much. Dwayne, just real quick, uh, because of that, have you found yourself trying to keep coming up with new code words? I mean, that's something that, you know, as a former you know quarterback that you always worry about in two-minute calls and signals and trying to change things up if you've, you know, shown it on tape. Is that something that you guys are worried about, or are you guys just, you know, hey, we're rolling and they got to stop us? Not too concerned, uh, you know. You know, a lot of the guys that we played, um, I, I try to li- look to see if they're engaged in what we're saying, if they're listening. You know, if they are, then you know we make adjustments as the game goes on. Um, you know, I played next to Michael Potty for a while. He's played a lot of football, so we're we're able to communicate. Uh, you know, less than most. Um, you know, but if they're not really paying attention to it, because you know they have to worry about their own stuff, and so they're, sometimes right. they're not paying attention to it as much. So. You know, it's not a big deal. But you get some experienced players that start to catch on, and uh, you, you can hear them kind of communicate to each other as we're talking. And, uh, you know, if I see that, then, you know, we'll switch some things up here and there. But um, for the most part, I mean, our, our offense has been has been good. We've been rolling. So, 
uh, it, you know, hasn't been much of an issue yet. He is starting left tackle Dwayne Brown joining us on the huddle. Dwayne, we always appreciate how candid you are. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time, and best of luck this weekend, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate having me. All right, we'll see if we can get Alton Robinson next. This is the huddle. This is the huddle every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Prescott takes the snap again, a three man rush. He gets hit, he gets hit and goes down. Robinson there to make the sack at about the 25 yard line, and now the Cowboys use their final timeout. The perfect time for a sack. Way to go, young man. Alton Robinson gets the sack for the Seahawks. Joining us right now on the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Rost is rookie defensive end Alton Robinson. Alton, I hope I'm saying that right. Correct me if I'm not. How was your first career sack? What did that feel like? Uh, you're definitely saying it right. And it was, uh, it was amazing, you know, to be able to get out there in my first game and um, make a play like that in a time that I made it. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, Alton, uh, I... I think my favorite play was the reverse because, you know, you were kind of the trailer, and I know the rule used to be when I played anyway that you stay deep as the deepest, and you, you disrupted that play really well. Uh, you know, we've been talking to Cliff Averill, who, who's worked with you, and he said a lot of really good things about you, but how much, uh, how much has that helped you, you know, kind of soak in some, some knowledge from a guy like Cliff? Uh, it's helped me a, a lot, actually, um, throughout, you know, the – the, the draft process, you know, me and Cliff worked together. And, um, you know, he just shared, you know, tidbits throughout, like, in the game that, you know, helped me, um, you know, throughout the game when I'm, out, when I'm out there. You know, it gives me certain things to look for and things like that. Uh, Alton, it, it, it looks like, you know, you came into this where uh, you were a little bit heavier, not in terms of being overweight or anything, but just came in health uh, heavier, bigger than what uh, you were when you were, you know, coming out of the draft. Um, was that intentional uh, to, to bulk up and play more of a five technique role? Um, was that just something that nat- naturally happened as you were training here at Ford Sports Performance? Um, what what kind of went into that? Because you, you seem to still have that explosive, you know, quick twitch ability off the ball. Um, I mean, it was a little bit of both. Um, I mean, for some reason, I thought I needed to get a little heavier to be able to play um, at this level because I, I, I imagine these guys being much bigger. Um, mm. But, you know, once I got up here, I realized that, you know, I don't want to sacrifice, you know, some speed for size. So um, throughout the natural process of camp, uh, I dropped a couple pounds and I felt back fast and switchy. So, um, yeah. We talked uh, earlier in the show, Alton, about whether or not it's fair to expect a rookie to come in and make big-time impact. But, you know, you're out there doing it. They put you on the field. What's your expectation of yourself? Uh, My expectation of myself right now is just to, you know, keep earning the respect of my older guys um, to where they feel comfortable with me going out there. Because, you know, that was just one game. But, you know, I heard from a great coach once upon a time that anybody can do it once. Um, so my goal is to just, you know, keep proving myself to the other guys. Yeah, Alton, we'll just expect one sack a week out of you. That'd be great, man. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Not too much to ask. <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it's uh, who are some of the veteran guys uh, on the team that, that uh, you've talked to and uh, and have helped you out a little bit? Um, so the veteran guys that are in my group, uh, I got guys like Benson Mayoa, uh, Jay Reed, and then um, – I even look at like uh, LJ and um, 
machine as like vets too. Yeah. Like I know they're not really like vet vets, but they're older than me, so that gives them credibility in my eyes. Um, as well as like you know Bobby KJ, um, you know you got Maul in the back. Like just any type of advice I can get from those guys, I try to you know hold it tight. Now, Alton, what is what is this next week as you got your first game action last week? That's that's done. It's over with. I'm sure there was a lot of nervous energy that you had. Now you're going into the second game. You know, what is something that you're looking to improve upon here uh going into your your second start, you know, game uh playing? Uh just not just not to leave any plays out there. Um, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to be suited up again, uh, I just don't want to leave any plays out there. Like you guys have mentioned, the uh, reverse play. And uh, to me, that's a play I should have made. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like I left that one out there, and that's my biggest goal is to not leave anything out there. That was defensive end Alton Robinson coming off his first career game where he got a sack of Dak Prescott. Alton, thank you for joining us. We're so excited to watch you again this weekend. You have some fun out there against the Dolphins, okay? All right, thank y'all. All right, this has been The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacy Rust. We'll be back next Thursday with another preview of the Seahawks opponent. Until then, Tom, Jake, and Stacy's next.